Welcome to the Influence Podcast. My name is Tom Yanni. There's truly never been a more accessible time to create and produce content than today. The rapid evolution of technology has allowed anyone with access to a cell phone to produce content, share it, distribute it, and share it at a global scale, turn strangers into engaged followers, build community, all while making money in ways that simply weren't possible a short time ago. But at the speed at which we are evolving, where is content and technology headed? In my opinion, there's no one better to dissect this question than Amber Mack, a tech guru, keynote speaker, best-selling author, co-host of the podcast series Marketing Disrupted, and quite an inspiring individual. In today's episode, we talk about the evolution of social media and content production, emerging technologies, and what protections or regulations may be needed in the future. Please enjoy our discussion on evolving technology and the future of marketing. I just want to say, first of all, it's a thrill for me to be able to speak with you. I kind of just mentioned this before we got started, but I've had an opportunity to listen to you moderate different events. I've consumed your content for a number of years and I'm a big fan. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. And uh, I love this medium, you know, in the sense that it's great to have these longer conversations versus so much of that bite-sized content we see in the media these days. (laughs) No doubt. And so on that note, I think the first sort of uh, area I wanted to talk about a little bit is just, it's going to sound very grandiose, but the evolution of internet and the media, just in the sense that you and I are of a, a similar era where I remember life before the internet, right? Like I remember that when I was a kid, there was only three ways to acquire knowledge. It was go to school, learn from an elder, read a book. That was pretty much how it went. And I even remember my first experience using the internet. My mom worked at a school board and she had a PA day and we got to go in to use the internet for the first time. And I remember my young brain at that time thinking like, I don't really see this working out. This just seems kind of like, uh, you know, there's a box with a computer. Why not just go to the actual, you know, library if I wanted this information? I didn't, I didn't really see where it was all headed. Um, and obviously it's been unbelievable to see what has happened over the last, you know, 25 years or so. And I'm wondering for you as somebody that lives in this space that talks about it all the time, that meets people that are the movers and the shakers of the industry, what has it been like for you just actually watching the evolution of the internet over the last 20 plus years? Well, I think it's been pretty exciting to see how the internet has evolved. However, I would also argue at the same time that uh, it hasn't evolved in a way that is always good for humanity and our society. So that part of it, I think, is uh, especially troublesome. But you know, if we think about the evolution of the internet, one of the things that has always excited me is that everybody has the ability to have a voice. And sometimes the megaphone is just too loud. We want to turn down those voices. But generally speaking, I can't imagine a time where we could go back to not allowing everybody to participate in almost like a modern day town square. So I have always leaned towards the optimistic side of the internet in terms of what it has brought our society. And yes, there are a few moments where I think we've seen that it can be troublesome, but generally speaking, I think we're better off for it. And I love that you're going there because we're going to get into that a little bit further in a few minutes time. I have some views on that matter as well that seem to at least to some degree align with yours and curious to talk about that. Before we get into that a little bit further, how did you decide, figure out, realize that, hey, you know what, I could make a career out of this digital media space. And this is something that I'm really passionate about. And and this is something that I could be doing. 
Well, to be honest with you, back in 1999, I was doing a postgrad in journalism at the University of King's College in Halifax. And we were able to specialize in online journalism. They were early in terms of recognizing that there was an opportunity with digital reporting. So that was pretty exciting at the time. And I'll never forget because I was working on our online newspaper and I was writing an article called Horse Hunting in Cyberspace. And it was an article about a couple in Maine Horse hunting in cyberspace? They had found a horse that they bought online and then the horse was shipped to them, not like Amazon or or by a robot, you know, shipped the old fashioned way. But I found it fascinating that people were able to connect through the internet and practice what now we know as e-commerce at that time. So a little light bulb kind of went off for me where I recognized that the internet was going to bring new opportunities. And as someone who grew up not necessarily extremely well connected, I'm from rural Prince Edward Island, I saw it as a huge advantage to be able to figure out how to build a business and a brand in this space a little bit earlier than maybe the mainstream population would be able to figure it out. So I definitely saw an opening and I jumped and thankfully it's worked out well, but I'm I'm sure there were many days that I have forgotten now that where, you know, I wasn't quite sure this was going to be the right direction. Definitely worked out. I have to say, what a progressive college to be talking about digital publishing and storytelling in 1999. That's pretty amazing. Good for them. And as things have evolved over the last you know, number of years, you do a lot of different things. And I'm wondering nowadays, you know, you've had a taste of so many different areas of media, whether it's in the traditional sense on obviously you do television work and lots of different interviews and events, but digital is sort of certainly what you're very well known for and what you talk about a lot. And you're you're sort of on the cusp of these different changes that are happening within the industry. What does it take to get you excited nowadays? Now that you've experienced so many of these different things, what is it that gets you excited about content production? You know what? I've always been one of those people who, uh, who gets excited about little things. I think if, if you see sort of surprise and delight everywhere around you, your life is definitely much more uh, enjoyable than if you just see darkness everywhere. So what I see now in the digital media world in terms of what excites me today, even though there's lots of different things that I've done, uh, I'm really excited about the online event space. You know, I was someone who for 12 or 13 years was on planes every single week traveling to events. And now in our studio here, oftentimes I'll do two or three events a day. You know, there's a couple of reasons that I love that and that excites me. And those are that from a climate perspective, I'm glad I'm not uh, flying all the time. Uh, as a mother, I'm glad that I'm not away all the time. And and third of all, I think one of the things that's exciting is that we forget that sometimes for people to physically go out to events, it isn't always possible or accessible or affordable for everyone. So one of the things I love about podcasting or digital events or these great moderating opportunities that I get is that for most people with an internet connection, they can participate. So for me, that excites me every single day is that this shift has happened and accelerated faster than we imagined because of the pandemic. But I do think it brings new opportunities for people who are excited about digital media and and are able to see the future because this isn't going to go away. We're not going to go back to normal when it comes to digital media events and and content. I think we're seeing a a whole new world opening up if you are ready to embrace it. (laughs) On that topic, now I'd like to circle back to what you talked about off the top, which is, you know, you're talking about the future and a new world that's opened up. If you're ready for it, part of that too is that everybody has that megaphone like you were talking about. Not everybody is using it for constructive purposes. And so there's this sort of dance that exists in the online world, which is it's made more prominent amongst the pandemic, I would say, just in terms of 
how people are reacting to the world around them, making sense of it, and you know how that affects public views, how that affects how we live, society, things of that nature. And so you kind of alluded to this, but obviously you're on the cusp of technology when it comes to paying attention to these things. If we're looking at the world around us right now, it's wearable technology, virtual reality, augmented reality, self-driving cars, 3D printing, drone delivery, you know, singularity, things of that nature. So there's a lot to be excited about because there's some major problems, major societal problems that can be solved by these technologies that otherwise could not be. And at the same time, it is a little bit scary too. And I'm wondering how, I mean, again, you kind of alluded to this off the top, but how do you make sense of the world as it's changing so quickly and these technologies that emerge and how do you feel about it? I think that uh, sometimes we want to blame people, so individuals, for the way that technology is progressing. And I think there is this tendency to say, you know what, there, there are just a lot of horrible people out there. I don't think that's necessarily true. And, and I think there are a couple things that are happening right now. One is if we think about giving everybody a megaphone and, and maybe that megaphone is too loud, we know that misinformation and disinformation during the pandemic is uh, the biggest public health threat that we've ever faced. And that's a real issue issue that's going to cost lives. We again want to blame those individuals who are sharing the content. And and I would say that we have to kind of flip the narrative a little bit. And we have to think about some of the big technology companies that have created these worlds that tend to amplify that content, right? You know, we can have a conversation now about algorithms. If we know that as Facebook has revealed recently, that one of the top articles on that platform was an article that spread misinformation about vaccines, then we know that they play a role. and, And I think we should direct some of our attention to them and transparency when it comes to algorithms and the effects that they have on our lives. I don't think when it comes to technology and the big tech players that exist in our world, we should always blame the individuals. Yes, we have a responsibility, but as someone who for years has been almost a a tech explainer in many ways and trying to demystify technology, I can tell you right now, the average person does not really possess a lot of really strong digital literacy skills. That means they don't know necessarily when they see misinformation online. They don't really understand privacy when it comes to new technology. And so we've created, unfortunately, this perfect storm where these technology companies are able to swoop in. And in many ways, what ends up happening is that I would argue that their approach to building out this technology isn't always in a responsible way. So I would like to shift the focus from the individual back to some of these businesses. So I would tend to agree with that. And you talked about algorithms. And for people that work in the industry, for people that spend time producing content, learning how to share content, build communities. You also understand that these algorithms are geared towards what generates the most engagement because the most engagement means the most time spent. The most time spent means whatever, the most ads consumed or you know they want people to spend time on that platform. So there's sort of a fundamental issue that exists between serving the public at large with what we know will be helpful, constructive, advanced, positive conversations And the opportunity for misinformation to slip in because naturally that creates more engagement and creates more dialogue. And, you know, from a platform perspective, that can serve interests which are ultimately out of alignment with the public. So that leads to sort of regulation then too. How do you solve this? Because it's sort of like, I'm sure you watched when uh, Mark Zuckerberg was in front of Congress, I think it was a couple of years back now. It's hard for people that don't understand something to regulate it. And you alluded to this a moment ago as well, like the, the average person is not necessarily super you know, understanding of how these things work. And so there's a question of how do you actually regulate something when you don't understand it? 
And so for someone who does understand it and understanding some of these fundamental issues that exist, do you have any ideas, suggestions, or anything that you think might help with this? Because it does seem like a problem. And without something, it's a little bit of a runaway train as well. Well, I, I think if you talk about regulation, of course, you have, a, have to have a conversation about government. And if we look across multiple levels of government, I think the reality is, is that there are very few people who also have a really good understanding or grasp the impact of the digital world that we live in today and how technology has totally transformed our world and what it's going to mean to us in the future. I, I can't think offhand necessarily of any politician uh, aside from Andrew uh, Yang in the U.S. who I think really has a good grasp on our digital future. So number one, that, that perhaps is part of the problem. Number two, part of the problem as well is that everybody wants to fight regulation as if it's something new that we haven't had in our society, you know, for decades. I mean, there are many things in our society that are regulated already, right? And we have to remember that. And, and so for me, it feels like with big technology space, I am in favor if the regulation makes sense in, in many respects. I think, again, it only can happen if you have people in levels of government who truly understand our digital future. And that's not always the case. So what ends up happening is when we have these conversations about regulation or these conversations about censorship or conversation about you know taxing big technology companies, there's just a whole bunch of misinformation uh, that floats around among these circles, whether it's media or government. And it basically, it comes down to people not really understanding what they're talking about. So it is a, a big, big issue in our society. I don't know if there's a, a good answer to this, but I will say if you look to the next generation, you know, my son is 12 years old, as they grow up and perhaps they go into office and into the media, they'll have a much better grasp on the imp impact of technology. And maybe we'll see people be able to have more measured conversations around the topic of regulation in the first place. Yeah, I think so. And it's interesting, you brought up another great point, which is the idea that the younger generation is almost more comfortable, more familiar. They grew up with much of this technology. So there has been this sort of swing that has taken place. I mentioned off the top, like when I was a kid, it was like books, elders, school. That's how you learn. And nowadays you have, I think of my mom, I think of my aunts and uncles. I, I, I have a quite a large extended family. I think of many of them that just would not have grown up with this, are unfamiliar with it. When I see them using technology, you can see there is a discomfort with it, that they're just simply unfamiliar with these interfaces and these programs at the same way that perhaps your son might be as like, you know, a teenager nowadays. So for somebody that sees both sides of that coin, I'm curious too, just as a mom and somebody that's aware of where we're headed and also sees the future a little bit in terms of where things are going. What do you talk to your kids about when it comes to social media and how do you prepare them for the benefits and perils of it, because I'm a father with a two-year-old son. I'm already thinking about those conversations. I don't even know how I'm going to approach it yet, but you obviously have a lot of experience in this and you've got some teenage kids. So how do you address it with them? Well, I think for starters, one of the things that I've always tried to do with our son, Connor, ever since he was really young, is to make sure that he understood how the internet works. He understood how technology could make his life better. He understood all of those things. Some parents, I think, get really scared. And so there's kind of a no tech rule in their homes until the kid gets to be a little bit older, whether that's, you know, six or eight or 10 or 12 or whatever they decide. Often people will come to me and they'll say, you know, there's a lot of technology entrepreneurs, really well-known names, whether it's Steve Jobs or other people who don't let their kids use any technology. And, and I like to say, 
that's a position of privilege, right? You know, if you're Steve Jobs' kid, chances are you don't need digital skills because, you know, you have enough resources to do whatever it is that you want to do. So for me, it feels like our future is so dependent on the digital space that I've never, ever blocked Connor from learning about certain types of technology because I've always believed that it is those kids who have the best and the strongest digital skills who will succeed in the future. So from a very early age, we exposed him to YouTube. Now he's on TikTok and we have conversations openly about what's real what isn't, how algorithms work. And he has a really solid understanding of this. You know, he follows uh, political leaders on TikTok and he loves these conversations uh, that he's getting exposed to on that platform. So for me, it just feels like it's important that not that kids get consumed with technology, but that we do have honest conversations about the role that it does play in our lives. And I don't think we can shield them from it in a way where it doesn't hurt them in the long run. So if I see someone in Connor's class who maybe their parents have said no tech until you're 10 or 12. What I see actually, quite frankly, is is a child who's going to perhaps get left behind when we look at the digital opportunities that exist ahead. Because if you really don't get how this space works, unfortunately, and this is just the way that it is, you're going to be at a disadvantage in the future. We know that there are a lot of jobs that will be impacted because of technology. But more importantly, those jobs are going to shift and change. And it's those people with that digital skill set that will be able to succeed down the road. So I'm very much about having open conversations and making sure that he has the skills that make sure that he's ready for this future that we're going into. Yeah, it kind of seems like somebody that, you know, I remember growing up, I would be around certain kids where their parents would try so hard for them to avoid any pitfall in life. And then in at least some instances, the allure of that to that kid who was like, wait, what is that? What is that? What do you mean don't try drinking ever? I kind of want to see what a beer tastes like, you know, these types of things. It almost has a counter effect with, with some kids. It's kind of interesting too. You talked about your son and how he's a little bit more media savvy and sort of aware of what's going on around him, following political leaders on TikTok, things of that nature. And then sort of uh, some younger people, if you not are you not at least becoming, if not proficient, then you know having some fundamental skills that could set you back in the long run. And so when you're looking towards the future, when you're seeing the world in front of us and how technology will continue to play a role in that. What are some of those opportunities that you see for your son or for the next generation of young people that are out there? Where do you see things headed in terms of the world and technology merging? Well, I think one of, one of the wonderful things, and you know this about technology, is that it's accelerating at such a fast pace right now that most people who are in the technology industry or even the media space to some extent, I think we're comfortable with this idea of change and really reinventing ourselves. So for starters, I would say when I think about the next generation, my son specifically, and making sure that he's ready for the future, one of the things I think about is that he's able to design a life for himself and that he potentially has the tools at his disposal to be able to do that. I don't want him to go into the world thinking like, hey, the only way I succeed is by going out and going to certain schools and then getting a job for 10, 15, 20 years in a certain building and working my way up. I don't think that is for all children. And I think especially with this creative generation that's growing up, Generation Z, I think it's exciting that they can have the opportunity to pursue whatever career they want, right? You know, can you succeed today as a digital artist? Can you create your own business? Well, 
not lots of people, but but some people have. And I want him to understand not only the digital skills that you're required to have to make that possible, but also the entrepreneurial skills and how do you build a brand in the digital space. All these skills are skills that aren't taught really in schools, but just think about how beneficial they could be in the long run in terms of really figuring out what you want to do and pursuing that path. So if we think about the education system in general, are they preparing kids for the future and the digital skills that they need? I think that's also another area of concern because I think what we're seeing is this generation that is growing up almost in a parallel universe, right? <laughs> you know, they're having experiences here and then they go to school and they're being taught what was taught and in a way that was maybe 30, 40 uh, or, or 50 years old. So how do we kind of bring those together? So that's what I think about. And, and as far as the opportunities ahead, we know that we don't even know some of the jobs that are going to exist in 10, 15, 20 years. You know, will you be able to be someone who's a robot caretaker and basically your job all day is to maintain a, a robot that works in a factory? I mean, that's that's probably legit a job. So what what is the planning sort of backwards that has to happen in order for you to get there. So those are the things that I think about on a regular basis. And I'm excited about the opportunities that lie ahead. But we have to be honest about the jobs that are going to be affected, even eliminated, and then the jobs that are going to be created. And listen, I don't even hear these conversations happening at a high level in politics, you know, and, and that scares me as well in terms of the future of work and where things are headed. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that completely. There does seem to be a disconnect between the reality and the practical reality of what's actually happening in the world and then what kids are being prepared for. And sort of ironically, what ties into your last comment, like when I was a kid, People would say, what do you want to be when you grow up? The most popular terms were like an athlete. I want to be, you know, a firefighter or maybe a doctor or a policeman, things like that. Nowadays, um, the stats indicate that people say content producer or an influencer. So the young people are very much onto this. And you're onto this, right? Like you obviously produce a ton of content and brand partnerships and a variety of different things. What kind of advice would you give to young people who are interested in becoming a quote unquote influencer or creating their own content, building their brand, elevating themselves through the content that they produce online, because there are certainly some incredible opportunities that come from that. And then there are some pitfalls as well. I think the most important thing for that generation who does potentially want to be in the content creation business or work as an influencer is that they don't necessarily just get so focused on that particular opportunity. You know, one of the things that I've always done, and, and it's not going to work for everybody, but it works for me, is that uh, I have multiple streams of revenue, right? So uh, we have a production company where we do live stream production. I do keynote speaking. I also produce and host podcasts. I do some influencer work. We also have income properties. I mean, these are things that are super important for me because I feel insulated. If one of those channels runs into trouble in terms of the opportunity that exists within that vertical, I know I have those other things to depend on. So my, my first advice for anyone who says, I want to be an influencer is like, okay, great. There are opportunities that exist there, but what else can you do building on that that's still connected, but can also provide other sources of revenue? You know, the speaking world can be very lucrative. The podcast world can also be lucrative. How do you build out something beyond just, hey, I'm going to go on Instagram and just kill it there, right? And, and there are examples, lots of examples of people across the country who are able to do that in a way and bridge those worlds between uh, digital content and even mainstream media. That's a world that I play in. I, I do both. And it's been hugely advantageous to be able to 
to live and work in both. So don't exclude anything right away, you know, explore a bunch of different things, stay on your path, but try different things and be open to opportunities to be able to have those multiple streams of revenue. On the brand side, you've worked with a ton of brands and you watch this space closely. Is there anybody out there that you think is really doing it right? Or are there certain trends that you've seen with certain brands where you're like, that's what people need to be paying attention to? Well, I work with this brand, so full disclosure, I've worked as an influencer with them. But I think in Canada, one of the most exciting brands that I think they really get how to work with influencers, and I love their products and I love their story, is Endy. And you know, I know a lot of people have worked with Endy, the mattress company. They're made in Canada mattresses. They're affordable. They make life easy. They ship to your, your house. The whole story is wonderful. And uh, even working with them as an influencer at times, I mean, they're super simple to work with. We have a great relationship, and I can say they're many people in Canada who feel the same way about them. So they're an example of a brand that I think feels uh, local, that feels Canadian. And, you know, it feels good to, to buy from them because they have such a strong brand and such strong messaging. So that would probably be at the top of my list right now. Funny enough, it's not a tech company. <laughs> it's a mattress company. <laughs> Still counts. And one last question for you here, Amber, which is, you know, we've talked a lot about the accelerating pace of technology and media and the role that that plays in education and the economy. And we've covered a variety of different topics here. And so if we were dialing the scope back a little bit and you're thinking, you know what, this is what I really like right on the horizon. This is sort of what I'm seeing in 2022 and beyond. Is there any sort of trend or something that you foresee as being maybe a bit of a a disruptive force, not necessarily in a a good or bad way, but just something that uh, people need to be aware of or keep their eyes on? For those who are interested in digital marketing, content marketing, the influencer space heading into next year? Well, I think the one thing that I am working right now with our team on is shifting our focus over the next few months so that we go into 2022 and we really start to focus on sustainability and climate solutions. This is one area that I'm sure it doesn't sound that sexy. I always wonder why there aren't more women in technology. Maybe it's just not as fun as beauty or fashion. But nonetheless, I think that there's a big opportunity for everyone in every single vertical, especially in the content creation space to sort of have their eye on what's happening right now when we think about the future of uh, climate change and the future of sustainability and to make that part of messaging, not in a way where you're, you're just greenwashing all the time, but you really commit to this idea that we have to move forward and work together if we're ever going to solve this climate crisis. And so that's the, the place that we will slowly kind of steer uh, the Amber Mac Media ship in. And there's lots of tie-ins there when it comes to technology and digital content creation. So that's our plan for 2022. And you know, I haven't talked to a lot of people about this, but when you say something, you have to do it. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, I love that. And count me among those who find clean air and water in a lack of crazy storms and temperatures and things that are uh, scary to think about too far as sexy, right? We don't want any of those things. So certainly that's a wonderful issue to hang your hat on. And I wish you all the best of that moving into next year and beyond. Thank you so much for joining us here today. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. You can stay plugged in with Amber online across all platforms via at Amber Mac. And for the latest in digital marketing news and the world of technology, check out theinfluenceagency.com and follow us on social at Influence Agency. We'll see you next time.